Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Glad that you guys are here in person and also online if you are joining us online. Um, We do, as Katie mentioned, have the privilege of finishing out our Believe series on the Gospel of John. And if you're like me, it's like, this has been a year? Man, this has gone by way too fast. Like, I kind of can't believe we're sort of at the end of this trek through the Gospel of John. And I love the Gospel of John. I personally think it's one of the most unique books in the New Testament, specifically because it has such an incredible focus on the issue of the deity of Christ. And if you're like, deity, remind me, like, it's like the, the fact that Jesus is actually God. So you, you, like, you realize in the first century, that was something that people were debating. Like, you know, maybe Jesus was a good teacher, definitely a good rabbi. Like, there were all kinds of things that we could say, but like, was he really God? And so John wrote John specifically to be able to say, yeah, yeah, he is. He is God. And that's just one of those things for us today, because we still hear that today, don't we? Like, have you ever had a conversation with someone where they're like, well, you know, I got a little bit of like a couple, just kind of like jigsawing some things together. And I like the teachings of these different people. Jesus is one of them. It's like, yeah, but he claimed to be God, guys. And so one of the things that John mentions is, is that um, that's just one of those consistent themes that sort of pops up. And I want to remind you too, that the point of the gospel of John, John was gracious enough to let us know why he was writing. That's in John 20, 31, where he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And for the last year, we have talked about the fact that belief in the Gospel of John is not just this idea of cognitive assent. It's not just what you know. See, in the Gospel of John, belief is this thing that works itself out in our actions and in our obedience. Believe is a verb. It's not just think, it is like the full encompassing of the idea of Jesus as king in every area of my life and what that means and what it looks like. So today, as we finish out the Gospel of John, we're going to spend some time on this very interesting scene. And, and it's going to be one of these scenes that it occurs in John 21, 1 through 14. If you're here on campus and you're using the Bible in front of you, that starts on page 907. If you're online, you want to take a device now and kind of flip over to that. But here's the thing, full disclosure, we're going to do a little bit of what I call Bible cardio today. That means we're going to start here in John 21, but we're not going to stay there for very long. We're going to flip back and forth, and here's why. Because in order to really grasp the weight of what is going on here, we're going to need to actually reach out and grab hold of the other Gospels. So what are called the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're going to kind of provide these sort of fill-in-the-blank contexts for what's really going on and why it is so important and why it was such a big deal for Jesus' followers. So we're going to start here in John 21, and I'm going to read the text just so that we can kind of understand what's going on. This is what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, hey children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. <laughs> Love me some breakfast, Jesus. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? <laughs> they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right, now there's a lot going on here as usual, but if you're going to look at the text, you have to start with the first two words, after this. After what? Well, if you've been tracking through, we know that after this means this scene takes place after the trial, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what is beyond, it also takes place after Jesus appeared to a group of disciples on the road to a city called Emmaus, and then another appearance where he appeared to his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, and where we actually see the scene with a man called Thomas. You guys might remember this scene. So basically, Jesus shows up, he presents himself to them, and then like his, his disciples are like, hey, this is what happened. And then this one of his disciples named Thomas says, unless, unless I actually see and put my fingers in the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, all right, Thomas. And then Thomas does that thing. And then we have one of the most profound statements from one of Jesus's followers about his godhood in the following. We learn that Thomas falls on his knees and then in John 20, 28 says, my Lord and my God. That's a big deal, friends. Because if Jesus wasn't God and he knew that, it would have been blasphemy for him to have accepted worship. But he doesn't. Thomas knows who he is and confesses it. And then on the backside of that, we don't know how long Jesus stayed with them in that scene, but he's obviously not with them now at the beginning of what we're reading here. And so that's why we pick up with Peter and Nathaniel and James and John and the others on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, which by the way, um, if, if, you're, if you're interested, is also called the Sea of Tiberias, and sometimes it's also called the Lake of Gennesaret. And you can almost see and hear this section where Jesus' closest disciples and friends are kind of trying to make sense of everything that has happened in the recent past. And, and, and not just with him, and, 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 but with their lives. I mean, Peter, for example, like after all the time that they've spent, they spent three years with Jesus. After, after all of that time, they've, they've seen him work miracles. They, they've seen him teach. They've seen power. They've seen all these things. And then they saw him die. Then they saw him raise again. I mean, like, just trying to make sense of all of that blew their minds. I totally understand. You have to love Peter, don't you? What are you going to do with all this, Peter? I'm going fishing. Really? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords overturns the apple cart of human history, and you're going to go on a fishing trip? What's up with that? 
But I, I do think we actually do this ourselves. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't, but I do. I'm happy to try new things, to learn new things, to experiment with new ways of doing things. But when those things don't work, it's really easy for me to revert back quickly to the old ways of thinking and doing. Do you do that? In 2013, uh, my family uh, was on the backside of some profound change. And we had the opportunity to, to leave where we were and to move to the Pacific Northwest. Now, we were in a comfortable environment. We lived in South Bend, Indiana. We had a comfortable community, a comfortable neighborhood. We loved our neighbors and our friends. I worked on staff at a local church. My kids loved their schools and the, peoples that, the people that they had a chance to go to school with. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue... God calls us to move to this place that we had never been, people we'd never really talked to. I mean, like, it was this whole new adventure. But it was, it was scary. And we were on the backside of some pretty intense stuff. My wife was surviving and finishing cancer treatments. She'd picked up a septic infection that almost killed her. It destroyed a lot of her major joints. She had to, learn to, re, she had to relearn how to walk again. And in the midst of that darkness, we actually felt the spirit of the living God speak. Like we learned to listen, to hear. God tore open the darkness, shined light. It was this amazing, beautiful, scary, crazy, confusing, lovely. I mean, like it was just, it, it just kind of blew our minds. But when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords tells you to do something, you do it, right? So we packed up and we moved and, and when we got there, one of the things that started happening was the stress started piling on. It was new relationships, new people, new culture, new expectations, new job, new school, new, 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 new. All of these things started to pile on. And all of these skills that we had learned and that we were learning, they, they started feeling like they couldn't carry the freight. We had learned to listen to God. But, but like... It was just getting, there were too many things. Now, I don't know if you do what I do. Like, you might withdraw, you might anesthetize, you might hide, like, like I, I, you might disconnect, you might distract. I, I don't know what you do, but what I do is, is the more the volume and the dial gets turned up, I just turn it up even higher. Like, like the more stressful things get, the more aggressive I get. The more direct I get the more high execution and high speed I get. The more that my heart starts to feel threatened, the more I armor it up and shut it down. And so in the midst of new relationships, I just started powering through them. Like I just started like prioritizing my task lists. I started just like, like I even alienated relationships because it was just like, sorry, I don't have time for that. I got to go like, and, and even with my family, like my, my wife and kids who really needed me to be available in those moments, it wasn't that I was trying to, it's just that the, the load felt too heavy for the things that we had learned to be able to carry. I, I remember actually telling my wife, I love the new wings that we are learning to use. I just don't feel like they can carry the weight that we're being asked to carry. And so I kind of found myself unhitching them and like opening the closet and dragging out my old wings because they felt stronger and more comfortable for me and putting them on. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just telling you I get it follow Jesus for three years. I'm sure he's going to be the savior. He's going to bring Israel back. He's going to kick out the Romans. 
He ends up on a cross. I don't even know what to make of the fact that he appears to not be dead. So I'm going fishing. That makes sense. Before Jesus called him, Peter was a fisherman. It's what he knew. It's what he knew he could do. Those were Peter's old wings, if you want to use my analogy. And so in the absence of an ability to make sense of what was going on around him, it just makes sense to drag those things out and to go back with what he knows makes sense. That's why I love, I love how John puts himself in the situation, right? And is like, it's the Lord. <laughs> what? It's kind of fun. But here's the thing. This is one of those places where we have to reach out and grab hold of some of the other passages of Scripture, because if you do that, what you realize is this isn't the first time that there was a miraculous catch of fish with Jesus' disciples. In fact, Jesus first called this same group of disciples on a fishing trip. And if you will go to Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, we actually see that when Jesus first calls these group, this, group of young, this group of men to be his disciples, commissioning them to follow him, to learn from him, he actually does it with a miraculous catch of fish. Check this out. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, oh, master, we, we, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Did you see that? When Jesus first meets Peter, James, and John, he commissions them as his disciples with a miraculous catch of fish, and he tells them in this process that they will become fishers of people. Hey, you're going to go from this to this. You're going to be a fisherman, and now I'm going to commission you to be my disciple, and then you're going to fish for people, right? And so as a result, it makes a lot more sense now why here in John 21, there's this sort of loop back that has even more meaning and significance, it's why Peter suddenly realizes, oh, there's something else going on here. This reminds me a lot of The Princess Bride. If you guys saw the movie The Princess Bride, it's this sweet movie from the 80s. I know I grew up in the 80s, but like it, it's a sweet movie from the 80s where it starts with this grandfather who has a sick grandson, and he comes over one day to read his grandson a story while he's sick, Right? And the story is called The Princess Bride. And so the grandfather starts telling the little boy this story. And, and the thing about the story is, is that in the story, he introduces this young man named Wesley and this young woman named Buttercup. And the way that Wesley expresses his love 
for buttercup is with the central phrase, as you wish, right? Starts at the very beginning, as you wish. As you wish is this simple phrase that conveys love and commitment and faithfulness and belief and and all of these beautiful things. And then throughout the story, right? As you wish becomes this touchstone to, to, to going back and actually reminding Buttercup of what is true of his love for her. When he's posing as the dread pirate Roberts and Buttercup doesn't recognize him, right? That's how he lets her know, hey, it's me. As you wish, And throughout the story, as you wish, begins to become more than just this, sure, whatever. It becomes this deep symbol of love. So much so that at the end of the movie, when the grandfather gets up and the little boy says, Grandpa, could you come over again tomorrow and read it to me again? And the grandfather looks at him and just says, as you wish. Right? It means something. It has weight. It has gravity. You see, when, when you're here in this story, fishing's just fishing. A big catch is just a big catch. But when Jesus is involved and his first experience with you was a miraculous catch of fish where he commissioned you to be one of his disciples, then now everything, after everything that they've endured together, when he shows up again and does it the same way, it is a new commissioning but it touches back to the original and then flings it to the stars in a really sweetly beautiful way. That's why, that's why Peter responds that he does the way he does. I'd remind you that at this point, Jesus is actually aware that Peter has denied him three times. And it's in this chapter that Jesus actually recommissions him, re-reaches out to him and says, you're still mine. You're still gonna fish for people. That thing you were doing, it's gonna be the same thing. So like, you were a fisherman, you're gonna be my disciple, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. You've been my disciple. See how this is working? That thing you were doing, you've been my disciple, I'm recommissioning you again, now you're gonna fish for people. Like, it is that same process over again. And that's where I'd like to focus this morning, guys. See, here at Trinity, we talk a lot about disciple-making. And we say that disciple-making is about following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and then joining Jesus on mission. And for three years, Peter and the other disciples had been following Jesus together, and they were indeed transformed by him. They'd started to see life in a whole new way. they'd They'd participated in miracles with him. They were different people, but they hadn't really yet fully understood the mission of Jesus. See, they they were still thinking that as Messiah, Jesus' mission had been about redeeming Israel. They they still thought, they're trying to get their head around that whole king thing, right? Like, you become king, you kick out the Romans, Caesar leaves, Israel becomes the mostest awesomest and takes its place, rightful place among the nations as the most favored nation in God's economy. And, and that hadn't happened. And I'm sure they thought that it was just all over, that it had been a lie or a mistake or they just didn't get it. But here's the thing. He is king. He did come to inaugurate a new kingdom. It wasn't over. It was just changing form. Following together had led to transformation and now it's getting ready to lead further into mission. And that same is true as well for us, friends. You see, when we spend time 
with Jesus, he connects us to others who are doing likewise. That is connection. It's one of the things that we say is really critical here at Trinity Church because following Jesus is meant to be a team sport. He joins us together to local bodies like this one. And then he continues to transform us into his image. We stop fishing or doing whatever it was that we were doing before and we start seeing him do things like heal the sick, care for the poor, feed the hungry, cast out demons, raise the dead, and even get up from the grave himself. He changes us. He calls us by a new name. Just like Larry and Connie were talking about, he heals our marriages. He heals the junk that has been holding us back and the hurts, habits, and hangups that we all have and that keep us pinned down. But then he doesn't stop there. He flings us to the stars to join him in his continued work beyond just us. And you want to know why? Because he isn't just the king of Israel, although he is. He isn't just your king, although I hope if you are listening or if you're watching online today, I hope that he is. He isn't just the king of Trinity Church, although he is. He is the king of the entire world, of all of creation and everything in it. And as we learned back in John 3, 16, that famous verse that most of us know, God sent him because he loved the entire world and desires everyone to come to a knowledge of Jesus as king. Here's the truth of this for us, brothers and sisters. If we are indeed genuinely following Jesus and we are being joined to others who are doing likewise, then it is inevitable that we will join him on mission. And what do I mean by that? Very simply, I just mean that what's important to him becomes important to us. When you're in love with someone, what they value becomes what you value. You can't help but want to be with them and with other people who want to be around them. Transformation leads to connection, but connection leads inevitably to mission. And whatever he is doing is what we we learn to do. Whoever he's doing it with is whoever we start doing it with. Wherever it is and whenever it is, it's what we do. What's important to him becomes important to us. And do you want to know what's important to him? We actually learn in 2 Peter 3, 9 that his value is that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of repentance. That's why it's important that if we look outside of this passage and we look to the other gospel narratives, we realize that it is really close on the heels of this event that Jesus takes his disciples and he tells them what we read in Matthew 28, 19 through 20 when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. See, brothers and sisters, the thing that stands out to me most in this passage is that Jesus recommissions his broken, confused, hurting disciples. And after reassuring them and reconfirming them, he nods again to the fact that they are going to go forward and become fishers of people. And they got it. You know how I know? Because they all went forward, starting with where they were into all the places of the earth. And all of them, with the exception of John, gave their lives 
to see Jesus announced and demonstrated in places where people had no clue of who he was. They walked into the darkness and the brokenness of the world around them, and they carried the light and the life of the reigning and risen king, and it cost them their lives, and they didn't even care. That's what it looks like. It's even true with Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas that we talked about it a minute ago? Did you know that he ended up in India? I've actually been to the cathedral that is built over his bones. Even in India, which has a staunch Hindu background, the, one of the oldest Christian traditions in the world still is rooted in India. They can tell you the stories and the legends of Thomas who gave his life to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here today, 2,000 years later, we are standing on the shoulders of those who did and continue to do likewise. It's just what we do. If we are called by his name and we are genuinely being transformed by him and connected to those others, then we are going to be joining him on mission in the world around this and in the world around us. And by the way, I call this the transformation engine, transformation, connection, mission, and then desperation. Let me tell you how it works. You can see the graphic here. Transformation is what happens when you start to have your own life awakened to the idea that there is a God who loves you. He speaks to you, he heals you, he draws you. He repairs and restores. He gives you meaning and purpose and an invitation into being what you were not. Beloved, cherished. And then he connects you to others who are doing the same thing. You know why? Because you realize you want to be around people who are experiencing that too. And then, as his values become important to you, then what you realize is there are people who don't know that yet, and it compels and causes you to go out and to be part of engaging them. But do you know what happens when you do that? You realize you can't do it on your own. You realize you don't have what it takes. You realize you don't know enough. You don't have enough. You, you start to feel this sense of, oh no. And you know what happens? It drives you back to the feet of the king for more transformation. You experience transformation. You get connected. You join Jesus on mission. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with that. Father, I need more transformation. And then I need more people to come along with me because we've got to help. And then like, I still don't know what to do with that. Father, can you, can you heal this? Can you, can you guys come with me? We got to like, and, and it just becomes this engine that drives us forward. Full disclosure, God doesn't need us. But he invites us. He offers us, and when we respond to that offer, we are made like his son, because his son did that thing. When we were still dead in our sin, Jesus came and died for us. So when we draw close to him, we are made like him. We join together to others, and we join him on mission. We get really desperate. We come back for more. This is how that engine works. I took a friend to, uh, to India with me one time. His name is Dan. I love Dan. Dan has a huge heart. He's a capable businessman. He's fun. He's funny. He has a history of work with Habitat for Humanity. He is a great guy and a good friend. 
But when I took him with me to a remote rural village in South India, he was exposed to the fact that they still practice ritual female infanticide there. And if you don't know what that is, let me explain it to you. You see, in certain remote rural contexts in India, if you have a daughter, she's a liability. You're going to have to feed her. You're going to have to clothe her. You're going you're to have to take care of her. And then when she's marriageable age, you're going to have to pay a dowry for her. And that can be as much as 10 years' wages. And if you've already got kids and you're poor and you're barely having a hard, you're having a hard enough time feeding them as it is, the best thing for you and for her is you just take her down to the river and you make sure you don't have to do any of those things. So my friend Dan came up to me and he was like, I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to just go home and go back to my job and my comfortable family when I know that this is what's going on on the other side of the world. I don't think I can do that. I gotta do something about this. I can't just stand by. So we did. He founded a project called the Rama Project. The whole point of the Rama Project is to intercept the cycle of ritual female infanticide and to provide safety for the girl child in South India. And you wanna know what's really cool? My buddy Dan came home, explained things to his friends and said, you gotta come help me. And so he got people who knew about foster care and adoption and they actually have started one of the first actual foster care and adoption um, uh, like networks in this area in South India. So now if someone in a village says, I have a daughter and I don't want her, there's a group of churches over here that will say, we'll take her and they will raise her carefully her, clothe her, feed her, love her, protect her. And if they can't, then there's a relationship with an organization kind of like Compassion that would say, we'll take her. And if you can't do that, then we're at least going to make sure that there is formula. And by the way, we're going to help you start a savings account and we're going to put money there so that you can start saving for a dowry now. Here's the thing, her value and her worth are significant. And so we will help you. We will adopt. We will foster. We'll actually help. But here's the thing. We are going to do something about intercepting the issue of female infanticide in South India because my God requires that of me. Can you come along? Can you help? Can you give? I've got to do something about this. And the more Dan went and the more people he brought, the more desperate he felt which caused him to actually draw closer to the feet of Jesus, to draw more people, to engage the issue. Do you, do you see how it works? Dan looks a lot like Jesus. He was part of the local church I had the privilege of serving in and he was joining me on mission, but then desperation took hold of his heart and he came home and he had to do something about it, which caused more transformation, which caused more connection, which caused more, connect, more mission, which caused more desperation. That's just how it works. And often, I think I would just tell you, that just starts right where you are. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes the king of kings will ask you to do something crazy on the other side of the planet. Uh, did you know that right now, we here at Trinity Church, we're exploring a partnership with someone in the Ukraine who is utilizing a Christian school as an engine for generating micro churches right in the middle of Kiev in face of the potential of, Roman occupa I mean, of, of Russian occupation. At the end of next month, we're taking like duffel bags full of medical kits and school supplies so that we can see on the ground, we're gonna only get it as far as Czech Republic, but we're gonna be able to see on the ground what it looks like and how potentially we as a local church can help. Here's the thing, when you give at Trinity Church, that's the kind of stuff we do. And in that process, what I have been amazed to hear back from her has been, you know what, they can kill us, but they can't stop us. 
We are going to be the presence of the risen Christ in the midst of this community for people who are not able to leave. Some people, they can leave. They can go to Czech Republic. They can go to Poland. But for the people who cannot leave, we will be the presence of the risen Christ in their midst. Yes, you can send your daughter to school. Here we start on Monday. Yeah. And the more we tap others to come and join us, the more desperate we feel, the more transformation we require. That's how the engine works. And I feel like it's important to just restate here that when we talk about the idea of the mission of Jesus, I don't mean that everyone needs to quit their jobs, to move overseas, or to start not-for-profits. Although, if the King of Kings and Lord of Lords asks you to do that, you should. But that's not exclusively what I'm talking about here. Rather, joining Jesus on mission should really just start wherever you are. It's in our own neighborhoods. It's in our own relationships. It's in our own work environments. It's in our own recreation. It's how we actually do what we do where we do it. That, that's what it means to take the mission of Jesus into everything that we do. And it's why before Jesus ascended to heaven in, the, in Acts 1.8, he actually told them to start where they are. He said, listen, you're going to receive power. And after this, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And yes, they did in fact go to the ends of the earth, but it started right with them in Jerusalem, right where they were. Now, several months back, you might remember that Carolyn Kirsten did an interview with Miss Erlene Esters. If you guys know Miss Erlene, she's like one of our treasured, valued, like spiritual mothers in our congregation. She's just this amazing lady. And the interview talked about how she just started praying for the people in her neighborhood. Like she just started asking, how can I pray for you? And out of that evolved relationships where she's been able to learn people's names and now they seek her out. She's been able to pray for and over people and learn about needs and starting to meet those needs. And she's being the presence of the risen savior right in her neighborhood. And what was really even cooler about that is, is not only is Miss Erlene doing that, but I'm in a small group with, uh, that's led by, by Jim and Tina Grant, and one of the people in our small group is Brian and Karen Hossink. If you know Brian and Karen, they're amazing people. And Karen said, well, I saw that. I just started doing that myself. So she started reaching out to the people in her neighborhood. And now people that she would say are probably far from God are still quick to look at her and be like, oh, hey, Karen, can you pray for me about this? Oh, yeah, I got this going on. This is what's happening. Like, and so Karen has been able to establish deep relationships or deepening relationships with people just because she's offering to pray for them. She, she doesn't have to go halfway around the world. She's reaching her neighborhood. She is on mission with Jesus. Both Karen and Miss Erlene are owning the responsibility to join Jesus on mission to announce, to demonstrate, and to be part of the reign and rule of the risen king right where they are. And if we're followers of Jesus, we are aware of the fact that each one of us is a hand-selected agent of the kingdom of God and that we demonstrate with our actions, we proclaim with our words, and we incarnate with our lives wherever it is that our Father sends us and places us, and that includes right where we are. Now, you might think, man, 
I don't think I, I don't think I have everything I need to be able to do that. Well, brothers and sisters, I would just remind you in Second Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Peter one three, that His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So here's the thing. I'm going to make a statement, and then don't worry, I'm going to make it again. <laughs> you are either on mission with Him, or you are not really following Him. I'm going to say that again. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus who is experiencing transformation and connection with him and by him, but there is no mission in your life, then it is extremely and entirely reasonable that the world around you could suspect whether or not there really is even any transformation or connection to begin with. That's why James says in James 2.18, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. The simple maxim would be no mission, no disciple, friends. That may mean that you know your Bible really well. It may mean that you are in 16 different small groups. Those are, those are good things. But if the love of the living God for the world and the people around you that are precious to him, but are yet to know of the reign and rule of a risen king does not bubble to the surface and call you to action on their behalf, then it calls into question whether or not those other things are actually transforming you at all. No mission, no disciple. Discipleship, if it's true and authentic and genuine, should work itself out in mission. Okay, breathe. Now I get how this sounds. And, and like, I, believe me, like I've been there myself. Like, oh, Jack, it's one more thing. It's always one more thing with church people. What, like one more Bible study, one more thing I gotta do, one more place I gotta go, one more, like one more option, one more thing calling for my attention, one more thing calling for my money. Like, dude, if, if, if I've got a bucket and everything in my life is a rock. You guys just keep putting rocks in the bucket. Pretty soon I'm going to reach down to pick it up and my arms are going to just snap off. I'm a single mom. I got two kids under the age of 12. What do you expect me to do? I got to work full time. I got to take care of them full time. Like I, I can't do one more thing. Yeah, I know I'm not asking you to do one more thing. It's not one more rock in the bucket. It's not even the bucket. I view it a lot more like a wheel. It's like this. The mission of Jesus to advance the kingdom of the living God in the world is like the hub of a wheel, and every spoke in your life rests on it. So you might have a, you might have a neighborhood spoke. You have a work spoke. You have a recreation spoke. You've got a family spoke. You've got a social media spoke. All those different things in your life rest on, are reinforced by, and strengthened by the hub of the mission of Jesus to advance the kingdom of the living God in the world. I'm not asking you to do one more thing. I'm asking you to do everything you do differently. Because when you're in love, your values change. And if we are experiencing transformation by the Spirit of God into the image of God, we're going to be joined to others who are doing likewise, and it is going to compel us to take that mission into every single area of our lives. 
That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, it's not like seek first like a first and a list of shopping items. It's not like, oh, make sure you pick up some kingdom of God in addition to the soap. And the, it's, it's not like that. It is seek first as in of apex priority. Seek this first and then everything else that radiates out from it will have meaning and purpose and fulfillment because it's resting on the right hub. Yes, that includes your time. It's the spoke that reflects the mission of Jesus to advance the kingdom of God in the ways that you spend your time, who you spend it with, and what you spend it doing. It affects your work, your relationships. It affects your recreation. You know, it's funny. I think people think that we play in order to escape the kingdom of God. You can take the kingdom of God into your play, friends. Our God is fun. He is a God of joy. He, if you like disc golf? Have you seen the disc golf course we have? Go play some disc golf. Like uh, my friend Chris Deiter, like they meet people who are far from God just playing disc golf. And then they have the opportunity to be Jesus with them. You work out? Great. You see the same people there at the gym every time you go? Boom. Spoke of the wheel, dude. It is possible for you to advance the kingdom of the living God and to announce and to demonstrate and to proclaim the, the, the reign and rule of a risen king even while you're pumping iron. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, I'm not asking you to do something else. I'm just asking you to do what you're already doing differently with a different focus. And if you're like, okay, <laughs> I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I'm not Miss Erlene. I mean, like, I'm not Miss Erlene. I'm not some church superhero. I mean, like, come on. Help me out here. All right, we can. And we'd love to. Um, this is what Katie was talking about. If you guys will take a look at the thing that was on the insert of your bulletin, let me just tell you, I'm only gonna highlight a couple of these. But on the white page, you'll see some things that we're doing right now that can help you to be able to connect with first steps so that you can do the kinds of things that we're talking about here today. And once you look at the things here, you take the smaller one and just check off any of the things that you see there that you're like, all right, I'd take that step. I'd like to hear more about that. And then just fill in your information and drop it into one of the offering stations. There's three of them in the atrium. You can put it in there with your offering and then we'll just move forward from there. We'll contact you. But let me highlight just a couple of these. Did you know that right now, we are building what we call neighborhood clusters? What that means is, is that if you will opt in and let us know, we'll tell you the other people who are part of Trinity Church that live around you. So in my neighborhood cluster, right, like it's people who live in East Lansing, and right now we're getting together just to be able to get to know each other and to know who we are. But here's the cool thing for me. I know the next time I throw a block party for the people that are in my little neighborhood, I'm going to have reinforcements. It's not just me and my family now. I got backup, right? Next time one of them wants to do something to reach their neighborhood, we're all showing up right? We're going to pastor each other, care for each other, learn each other's names, pray for and with each other as we are seeking to engage the mission of Jesus in our neighborhoods. And if you want to be part of that, you can opt in. We'd love to be able to tell you that. We'd love to be able to tell you who the leader of that cluster is so you can tell them your name. We can start reaching out. You can join in with that. 
Did you know that we have disciple-making communities? These are people who have intensively committed for a period of time to be able to walk through the basics of learning that disciple-making is not really rocket science. It's just about how you leverage your time, your talent, and your resources. But if that sounds scary to you, come and do it with other people over a concentrated amount of time, and we'll teach you. Disciple-making communities begin October 9th. They meet on Sundays for seven weeks, starting at the 11 a.m. service. We'd love to have you. We'd love for you to consider giving online. We'd love for you to consider that when we give collectively, we are able to do some of the kinds of things collectively that are beyond what we can do on our own. The truth is, I can't change Kenya. But we collectively can have a hand in partnering with people on the ground who are, who will, who can, and who are doing it. We can do more together than we can do on our own. And it's one of the ways that we impact the mission of Jesus around the world and right here where we live beyond what we can do ourselves. Did you know that there are groups of people who are passionate about the mission of Jesus to advance the kingdom of God both locally and globally and we get together once a month to talk about what it looks like, what's going on, and how we can help. If you're interested in being part of that, you can join the Go Community Gatherings. They start on September 18th. They're going to be in room 162 during the 11 a.m. gathering and that's just an opportunity to come and say, oh gosh, I didn't know we had someone who was actually ministering to homeless people. We do. You want to go along? Gosh, I didn't know that we had people who were actually tutoring international students and kids that were coming in from Afghanistan. Yeah, we do. You want want to come along? Oh, I didn't know that we were actually going to be on the ground in Kenya in 10 months. Yeah, you want to go? Yeah, you want to, like, jump in. We'd love to help you with that. And if you're like, I don't know where to even do any of that stuff. No problem. Did you know that we have a thing called the checkpoint? If you go online, you fill out, it takes two minutes. You just fill out like a, yeah, here's me. And here's like four answers to five or six questions or whatever like that. We'll actually then return back to you. Cool. You should consider this resource. Click the link. Here's how you get there. It's just called the checkpoint. We would encourage you to do that. And those are just first steps. This is not a comprehensive list. And by the way, you'll notice, like, the ones that I've just mentioned, they're on here, but they are not even the total list. If you're like, I am willing to engage the mission of Jesus to advance the kingdom of the living God in my life, wherever I am and beyond, we can help. And we want to. But it's just what we do. If you call yourself by the name of Jesus, if you are being transformed by him, if you are being connected together with others who are doing likewise, it should, it will, and it must result in joining him on mission in the world. It's what we do. So here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I was never in the military. A lot of people think that I was. I always thought I would have been. But I I have tremendous respect for people who are and who were, and I know enough about the military to know that when the commander-in-chief speaks, you stand. You receive orders, and you obey them. And I am not the commander-in-chief, but we serve him. And so as we reach the end of our time here, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to stand. And if you are willing, I'm going to pray a blessing of commission over each one of us. I'm going to ask that the spirit of the living God would bring to your mind, what is one person? What is one place? What is one environment, one opportunity where he is asking you to be the agent of the kingdom of the living God this week? In what you do, what you say, who you're with, 
and what it looks like. So I would invite you, if you're willing, stand. And we'll pray blessing and commission over one another. Father, I love how Jesus recommissioned his disciples. And they had more questions than answers. More failures than successes in their minds, I am sure. And yet you called them again, you commissioned them again, and then you sent them again into the world around them. You blessed them with your spirit. You gave them purpose and direction, and they followed you. And we are here today as a result. And Father, we are attentive to your spirit right now. And I ask in the name of Jesus for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon my brothers and my sisters, both online and here this morning. And Father, I would ask in the name of Jesus that you bring to their hearts, their minds, and their wills right now. Father, what is the first beachhead you are asking them to stand on to be the presence of the risen king? Abba, what dark place, what relationship, what environment are you asking them to walk forward in the power of the Spirit to be light and life and the testimony of our King? Would you show them right now? And Father, we admit freely that we can't do this. We're not smart enough, we're not good enough, we're not eloquent enough, but you never said we had to be. We just trust you. And we move forward boldly into these environments, knowing, Father, that as we meet the people that you have called us to reach, that it will create desperation and hunger and thirst for you, and, Father, that you are faithful to filling it. And you will draw us around one another and then you will send us back on mission and we will become like you as we do. Father, we remember again together that you don't need us, but you call us, you beckon us, you invite us. And we want to respond for your glory and for our joy. So brothers and sisters, right now in the name of Jesus, I commission you to go and to be the light and the life of the reign and the rule of our risen King, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords into every place of darkness that you set your foot this week. And may you remember that the spirit of the living God has given you immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine to do all that he's calling you to do in those places in Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters.